This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's going on, Wildcatter Nation? Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast. You know, our most popular episodes ever have actually been E&P founders. Uh, Yusuf Chaudhry's episode uh, was definitely in first place. And by the way, if you're listening, his uh, new podcast, Oil Money, is dropping next week. So go check that out. Uh, then we had DRW. Uh, obviously, everybody knows him, needs no introduction. His episode was probably in second place. And then Seth Blackwell's from Ruckus Energy. His was in third place. And so we had to, we had to do it again. We had to do another banger episode. So we got Ryan Keyes. Uh, the co-founder and CEO of Triple Crown Resources. Uh, Ryan was recently kind of viral on, on LinkedIn. He made Hearts 40 under 40 list and then posed on a park bench with some 40 ounce malt liquor. Uh, and so we reached out and said, hey, Ryan, let's get you on the show, man. We've been talking to you for a while. Let's make it happen. So we made it happen and it was a great episode. We talked about some of the internal technology that they're building to kind of give them a little bit of a leg up. Uh, in this space, in this environment. Uh, so I think you guys are going to really enjoy this episode. Uh, before we get into the episode, let's take a little bit two minutes and dive really quickly into our TPH Energy Insight of the Week. Obviously, so this week, one of the biggest things that we've seen in news, S&P Global and IHS Market 2 absolute behemoths of the industry and the data, analytics, intelligence side of things are merging. Uh, so S&P Global is buying IHS Market for $44 billion with a B, including $4.8 billion of net debt. This is going to make a absolute... Do you know how big S&P Global is, by the way? No, I don't. Yeah, I think they're close to like a $100 billion company. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But uh, so this makes an absolute behemoth of a company. Do you think... This is the question of the day. Do you think that they could acquire somebody like Inveris, who recently merged with RSEG? They bought RSEG for a billion dollars, quote unquote, from, from what we heard. Um, it made this the absolute biggest data company in oil and gas that we've seen. Now I'm kind of curious, does SP and Global and IHS Market, both which have deep oil and gas roots, do they start looking at acquiring Inveris? Yeah, I mean, I want to see why not. If you can make a $44 billion acquisition, why can't you make a you know, $2 billion acquisition or whatever the valuation is of Inveris and Arseg combined. So I don't think that it's out of the question for it to happen. Um, I think that it is interesting, the short-term implications that this has and the long-term implications. You're starting to see all these uh, data providers starting to contract and um, converge and it's kind of creating a monopoly on energy data, right? So I think that short term, it's probably not the best for consumers if they hold this much pricing power. But long term, you're probably going to see some startups come in the space. Um, you know, there's already people out there, you know, whether it's um, World Database or other smaller data providers. I think that it opens up a lot of opportunity and that you see these ebbs and flows. You know, once upon a time in Veris was the uh, disruptor and now they're the incumbent and you'll start to see others pop up. So should be, it should at least be exciting over the next five to 10 years. Give us some content and podcasts to create. <laughs> 
I'm hoping it leads to more acquisitions. I'm hoping that not necessarily that they inquire in, in various, I think that'd be interesting, but that would for sure create a dominant monopoly. But um, like we had talked about whenever we talked with Alan Gilmer, Mark Bohorich on the Oil and Gas Startups podcast before, you know, Inverse coming into the space and acquiring a lot more companies made it to where now energy tech is more appealing. We're seeing more funds, more VCs, more startups kind of pop up into the space. And so I'm hoping that S&P Global, uh, IHS Market, whatever they're called after this, uh, will turn their attention to some more innovative startups and give founders more of uh, more more paths to exit uh, in energy tech. And I do think that there's going to be probably some some energy tech startup mergers uh, probably going to happen in 2021 as well. That's just kind of my my guess for for the next year. So, uh, without further ado, guys, let's go ahead and get right into the episode. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Willing Gas Startups Podcast. What's up, Colin? Oh, nothing much, man. Just survived the China virus. Survived the the coronavirus, <laughs> and I'm here. And these motherfuckers got to listen to me now on my long winded rants, and it didn't take away from any it's of my. Bad news. You came back. You came back with a vengeance on the memes. I know it didn't take away from any of my mental energy or bandwidth or my lung capacity. So I can front see page of Reddit. Keep yeah, front page of Reddit. I was proud of that. So what a lot was, of big things happening. What was this, what was the subreddit like a badassery or something like that? Yeah, I made a post like. Pretty much talking shit. Like I was, I was like, I can't remember word for word, but I got over COVID and I was competing in a grappling tournament. And then someone took a screenshot and posted it in a subreddit called like "Badasses," and it's, got, it's on the front page of Reddit with like thirty thousand upvotes. So, look, man, get people to get people to talk one way or another. So that's a lot. Of Anyways, man, got a good guest here today. Um, someone that. Uh, I think you had a lot of attention on LinkedIn the other day. It's Ryan Keys, uh, co-founder of Triple Count Resources. What's up, man? No, no not not a whole lot. Um, I, I I was inspired since, since you know you might still be shedding coronavirus, but after reading your tweet, I'm no longer scared of it. So <laughs> there you go. So I, I don't even care anymore. <laughs> not even afraid of it, right? Yeah. See? Inspiring people. Inspiring people, and not just Twitter, but on but on Reddit. So Ryan, the other day on LinkedIn, you had a great post. You were named uh, on the 40 under 40 list on Hard Energy. And so, you know, everyone's always got these sappy posts about it. Like I'm humbled to be on heart energies, 40 under 40. And you come out with a post with two forties and, <laughs> you know, malt liquor. And that's how you're celebrating. I don't think Would you, you get Mickey's. The 40s, was it Mickey's? Was it King Cobra? It was King Cobra. Oh, yeah. So I, I couldn't find Mickey's and I looked for old English. That's what I wanted. Oh yeah. But, um, I went, when I went to the convenience store, there's the, there's the malt liquor section. I had to go to like three or four. You know, I live in the Heights, so I had to go like closer to 610. You know? There's no 40s there. There, there, there are no 40s me. across the street. A, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but Old English is in 42 ounces now, 42 ounce bottles. That's not even a 40. I mean, what the hell? I can't use that. It's yeah. because you pour two ounces out for the homies. Yeah, that's true. That, then yeah, you drink the other 40. That's, or that's maybe it was true. 42 ounces because there was actually 42 people on Heart Energy's 40 under 40 <laughs> list. Which that's true. <laughs> I'm supposed to be talking to Heart later this week. I'm going to have to bring that up with them because my idea is that we have to have a reverse bracket, kind of like a version of uh, Survivor. And like Who's in charge of counting over there? Two people are getting voted <laughs> off. Like You can't have 42 people on the 40 under 40 list. So. Maybe it's just 42 is close. You, you round down to 40. I, I don't know. That'd be a close enough. Maybe That'd be like almost maybe 40, not. almost 40 under 40 yeah. or something like that. You got you to gotta change the name or the branding. So anyways, man, it's good to have you on the show. I think I actually had reached out to you like two years back on LinkedIn and I remember um, that. man, I don't even, I don't remember what it was about, you know, if it was to get you on the podcast in the early days, but 
honestly, I think that I think that we taught something about blockchain, if I'm not mistaken. And, yeah. And uh, anyways, I don't know, but I'm excited about this one because, um, you know, you, you kind of stick out amongst uh, the, the oil and gas crowd. So it should be good. So first, you know, tell us about Triple Crown Resources. You know, what's y'all's model? Are you guys an EMP? Are you actually operating mineral fund, private equity back? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, private equity backed uh, ENP. So uh, very rare in, in in Houston. I mean, there, there's just there's just not very many of those. But uh, got our got sponsored by by uh, Yorktown, uh, one of the blue bloods in in, in New York City. Um, they're they're uh, you know not quite as well known at least in Texas as uh, you know an NCAP and or, or, or Quantum. But they they've been uh, they've been doing their thing uh, lar- largely oil and gas, largely upstream since the early '90s, um, and they actually founded Concho uh, back in the back in the early '90s, oh, which, really? is, which is kind of interesting. So they they got some they they had some chops, um, but they um, anyway. The, the, my uh, partner uh, Nathan had had the relationship there and going around trying to trying to get sponsored, and and that was a thing to do in, in yeah. 2016, 2017. So um, it, that's that's where the match was. So, um, so are you guys operating, is it Permian Basin? Mm-hmm. Where are you, where are you at? Permian Basin, uh, Southern Midland Basin. So, uh, not the, uh, not the most expensive neighborhood and some would call it kind of the ghetto of the, <laughs> of, of the Permian Basin. But, uh, we think we found a nice street or, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, put up some, get some armed guards and, and some turrets and, uh, it's not that dangerous. So, uh, yeah, but, uh, <laughs> that reminds me, I was on this well one time in South Dallas and I pull up and it's like at the edge of a neighborhood and there's barbed wire fence all around <laughs> the top. And it's like, man, why does this look like Fort Knox? He's like, look, he said, we've had three armed robberies at this location before. So <laughs> we had to put up security and barbed wire. I'm like, damn, yeah. I should get hazard paid for being on this location. <laughs> you, you see that in the AFE, uh, you know, security, uh, you know, you get, get some claymores and, and, and what not as well so yeah um <laughs> yeah so are you guys um assuming unconventional um yeah. wells out there okay. yeah yeah exactly and uh uh we picked up uh, assets from another uh, uh private equity uh, uh company called called broad oak and uh they they were at the at the time relatively mature again relatively speaking uh had a good amount of production and you know uh, some you know locations left so um the the value proposition was uh, you know acquired good amount of cash flow and, and some locations and just drill our way to a, a you know a, a, a pretty good relatively low risk return versus the you know lease and flip thing so yeah um, we'd like to think we were a little bit ahead of the curve there but um, I I don't I, I don't know <laughs> yeah I mean that so, was still that was still very much the game yeah you know, even then back then was yeah. the lease and flip right so yeah. not a whole lot of people were going down that yeah. uh, path of, of thought so yeah tell me a little bit about yourself personally you know what's your background you know I took a quick look at LinkedIn as I was walking in and I think uh, you're an engineer turned mm-hmm. investment banker at Jeffries so you know yeah. where'd you where'd you go to school tell me that actually that's probably the most homework I've ever done on someone. You broke before. a rule. Dude, That's our cardinal rule. Don't do homework. I know. Like I, I never, I never do any homework. I am homework. honored and humbled <laughs> that you did homework. It's only because you're on the 40 under 40 list. I was like, oh, okay, man, he's that special. I got yeah, to look yeah. him up. <laughs> um, yeah. I just uh, went to UT Austin to undergrad in engineering and um, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I just knew, okay, this is a reasonably good avenue for a reasonably good salary in, in engineering. Mm-hmm. Mechanical is kind of like the liberal arts of engineering. You got to do anything with it. There's no real specific, 
uh, you know, career path. You can just kind of go anywhere. I hear some engineers sometimes talking shit about mechanical engineers. They're like, it's not yeah. real engineering. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, won't, I won't argue that. It, it was, uh, yeah, you get a little bit of everything. You get some ele- electricity and magnetism. You get some, you, you get a lot of, you know, a lot, lot, of, lot of programming, thermodynamics, all, all that good stuff. Material science. Um, I'm just an antagonist. Like I, I, I of course, I, of I, course. I'm always where the beef's at. Like someone's talking <laughs> shit. You know, if there's engineer beef, I'll be there for it. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I had, you know, growing up in Texas, I, you know, I grew up in Austin, and I, I really had no exposure to oil and gas. It's just odd. I, I kind of knew what it was, um, but you know, Austin wasn't exactly the center of oil and gas industry, so mm-hmm. just very little exposure, and. Um, uh, had a senior design project with uh, with Schlumberger. Uh, I was like, okay, well, this is this is kind of kind of interesting, um, and parlayed that into a into a job. I'm just like, all right, go 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 move to Sugarland, go move to Houston. Yeah, this is, this is kind of interesting. Um, but uh, you know, it, working in oil and gas as a mechanical engineer, yeah, the kind of interest waned a little bit. That's not the most exciting thing in the world. Um, so. Uh, it's like okay, well, I can I can stay a mechanical engineer in a in a very petroleum in, in in the oil and gas industry, or I can you know pivot a little bit. So I got a petroleum engineering master's degree from from A and M, uh, and that's a little odd. And University of go Texas from UT and then go to yeah. and go to the cold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. It just caused all sorts of confusion, and um, here I am, you know, fifteen years later drinking forties on the internet. So that, that's probably what caused it. Um, <laughs> I think, but, uh, uh, I think Energy Fintwit would say that you're not a real EMP management team if you didn't graduate <laughs> from A&M, right? So you had to go get that. You had to yeah, go, you get to go that check that box. Oh, like, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So uh, you actually went OFS first. Mm-hmm. That was your first experience yeah. in the industry. Yeah. And then did you go to an EMP after that or what was the transition? Um, I went to a, a startup, kind of reserves subsurface consultancy startup, um, uh, called Object Reservoir, um, and they're, they, yeah, they just did a lot of a lot of economics, you know, project economics, subsurface analysis, and and uh, the reason I took the job is because I the only thing I really wanted to do was was travel. Is just like okay, petroleum engineering. These people, you know, travel more and get the big, nice, cushy expat gig in, in whatever weird part of the world, and that's what I wanted. Uh, and I actually got it. I was like, you know, okay, you can go to go to Argentina and, and help appraise a you know a tight gas field uh, with the with the National Oil Company there, and and, and that was awesome. That's exactly yeah. what I wanted. And that, that was that was very cool. Um, uh, just the just the adventure aspect to it. Um, that's that's what I wanted. Um, but this was two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Oil price crashed. Um, and uh, as did uh, the gas price with that gas field because it was indexed to oil price. They were selling it to Chile um, and uh, kind of dissolved our contract. So just, all right, I guess I could go back, go back to Houston. Didn't really have a whole lot of other streams of revenue as a startup. So a little bit too focused on, on that one, mm-hmm. uh, that one account, but uh, had some really good people and, and, and some good, good technology and uh, uh, leveraged that into uh, helping the, um, the early entrance into the Haynesville and the Marcellus, uh, delineate and, and kind of, kind of accelerate the learning curve on the, on the whole, uh, horizontal hydraulic fracturing thing. So, um, you know, it wasn't 
what I had in mind, obviously getting, you know, going into, into oil and gas and, uh, that's, that's not the expat gig I'd, I'd wanted, but, uh, it was, it was interesting. It was, it was really, it's a tip of the spear. I mean, mm-hmm. nobody knew what the hell they were doing, uh, relatively speaking, at least compared to now. So it was, it was cool. I, I, I liked it. So, uh, it's actually like similar to my story because in 2014, I took a job here in Houston yeah. and, I was going to be traveling the world and that's what I wanted. I wanted to go work offshore. I wanted to go down to Brazil and Saudi yeah. and all of these things. And then oil prices crashed, yeah. you know, so instead of being 2008, it's 2014. But it was also nice because I started doing a lot of recompletion work here in the U.S. when a lot of people were trying to figure out, hey, can we actually refrack these yeah. laterals? And, you know, it was a big part of, you know, running expandable casing and trying to figure out solutions for that. So might not have got that opportunity if I was out Dude, I, fucking mm-hmm. off and... China and Brazil. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And it's just like, that's how quickly this this industry can just completely pivot Mm -hmm. Um, and just, just, you know, can't fight it sometimes. And sometimes we put it pivot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Try to survive. Get get punched in the face. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. What what have you? Yeah, no, I, I, I think that a lot of people became, uh, you know, accidentally good at what they're currently good at. Yeah, uh, because how, how things can can change so quickly. Um, so then you end up in investment banking mm-hmm. at Jeffries. Mm-hmm. Talk yeah. about that some because that's <laughs> yeah. an interesting. Why did you go to investment banking? Let's talk about that. It was, uh, I mean, I I'd always liked the 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 high level macro view of of, uh, you know, okay. So when, when, when you're on a, a project or someone's kind of trying to make a decision to pick up a, you know, third or fourth rig or something or not, um, the, what is driving them, the, the factors driving them to, to, to make that decisions are, are, you know, the basically macro view. I mean, it's just, it goes further than, than just oil price, but mm-hmm. where do we fit, you know, on the supply curve and, and, and everything. So that, that offered an opportunity to get, get that, that more, uh, you know, top down view of, uh, not just U S onshore oil and gas, but, uh, you know, the, the entire industry and, and, and where we fit and why capital was flowing that direction. And that, that was, that was really interesting. So, um, other than um, you know, people who are really good at uh, at hyping up assets, which is what uh, what, what Jeffries is, was uh, was known for, and, and, and still is uh, to, to a large extent. Uh, so that, that's that, that's the main reason. Uh, it's good good little confluence of of engineering and, and finance. And uh, yes, I find that interesting too, because you know, there's always I don't know if it's a great debate or it's a finger pointing contest, but yeah. um, you know, a lot of people say you know, who's best fit to run an EMP? Is it finance guys or is it engineers and geologists, you know, the operation types? Right. So it's interesting, you know, I don't, there's not a huge pool of people out there that have both the engineering background and experience and the investment banking experience on top of it. So I'm going to ask, you know, what do you think is more important, the finance side or the operation side, or is it important to understand elements of both? Yeah. uh, No, that's a, that's a, that's a, you can't get out that easy. That's too easy of an answer. It's always good to understand <laughs> yeah. both sides, right? <laughs> all of the, all of the above. Um, you know, uh, it. You know, one one person on, on a management team, and I'm, I'm going to kind of answer this indirectly. Um, it's not necessarily 
both important to know really well for one person. But uh, you know, if, if you know, obviously, you know, it's just it's balance. And um, you, know, you guys, I'm sure you guys have heard this before, and probably all your listeners have too. But uh, when you're starting a business with someone, you don't want to be good at the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you want you want a good, you know, someone who's a good complement to you. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, and just trust that person to do do what they're doing, and and it's it's reciprocated. So, um, you know, engineering and finance is is uh, that that is the lens through which I just viewed the the whole industry and you know the economy in general. Uh, so I I can't really disentangle it, at least with respect to how, how I view our own business or the industry in general. I can't really disentangle either of those because understanding the risk around into technical risk really helps the, the, the finance side and vice versa. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of understanding the sensitivity of one on the other mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, where, how that balances out, uh, that's been, that's been really informative. What's your partner's background? He's, uh, he's VP of business development at, uh, at Matador, uh, okay. when, when they went public, mm-hmm. uh, he's, he has a, a legal background, uh, land legal background. And, um, uh, yeah, that's perfect. You guys just complement each other yeah. perfectly in that way. Yeah. You check like four boxes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, um, that, that, that was, that was the, the, generally the feedback we got from, from, uh, you know, sponsors was, you know, this is a good, it's a good, good fit and, and go, you know, start building a team, find assets and build a team. Let's talk about that process a little bit. You know, you get this private equity commitment yeah. and then it sounds like you guys didn't have an asset um, soft circled yet. Um, you had to go find an asset and find a team. So let's talk about finding the asset first yeah. and then building the team or did building the team come before finding the asset? Yeah. Did you guys already know each other? We did mm-hmm. um, a, a little bit. We, we had a, a, a good mutual friend um, who at one point was going to join us and then it just, you know, yeah. So this is before we'd even gotten backing and we just, you know, just talking about it. So, um, so, uh, yeah, it was just, it, it was, it was the two of us and, um, we have a, you know, a third partner. He's, uh, we're, you know, we're relatively young. Um, yeah, I guess, especially by, you know, 2016, 17 standards, um, you know, usually teams had a little more gray hair and I've certainly grown a lot more since then, but, um, <laughs> but we, we didn't have the, uh, uh, we needed an elder statesman. So, um, once we got, sponsored by uh by by yorktown um one of the you know one thing we wanted and one thing they wanted too was was that uh that that industry uh that <laughs> that gray hair sorry craig um if you're listening <laughs> <laughs> he, he got he's got a lot of gray hair but uh you know it was, it was great he, he'd been he gives really good high level advice he's kind of quasi retired he just wanted something that were just keep keep one foot in the in the business mm-hmm. uh because he it's, it's his it's his passion but otherwise he just kind of stays aside and and we just call him when we have any questions so that's our executive chairman and and uh that, that was a kind of the, the the third leg of the the triple crown stool um so, um, that's a good analogy there. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> the third leg of the triple crown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they're, 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 that can get pretty dirty pretty quick. So maybe we should move on. There's like, there's like two reference. innuendos I'm thinking of right now where this could get bad. Um, but, uh, uh, no, we, we, we first started looking in the Eagleford. Um, uh, my, my, my partner was, was at, at Matador when they were probably more active in, in the, in the Eagleford and, uh, at, at, at Jeffries, I was, uh, 
you know, it, uh, arrived there in 2012, which was 2012, 2014. That's peak Eagleford. I mean, mm -hmm. that's, that dominated the M&A market. And, um, so I had that institutional knowledge and, um, you know, why saw a lot of private equity backed teams come through, uh, and some just had great timing and good for them. That counts just as much as skill, perhaps yeah. sometimes more so, um, yeah. often more so. And some of them were really good and seeing that, that kind of difference, like these guys are really good at what they do. And these guys had good timing mm -hmm. and good for the guys that got good timing. But I can't, I can't control that. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, digressing a little bit. Um, so we were first uh, mandated to, to, to look at the at the Eagleford, and and it's a little more more mature. This is you know this is 2017, uh, relatively speaking, than than the Permian. And uh, so that, that was that was the idea: acquire cash flow uh, locations, uh, uh, acquire cash flow, exploit, and and you know, make make your returns out of out of cash flow uh, mm -hmm. through, through, through the drill bit. So. Um, and so we, we looked, we got in, involved in, in several processes and, and, and looked at several assets and then, um, had some, some pretty intimate knowledge from, from the, the, the Jeffries days of, uh, of, uh, some, some assets in the Southern Midland Basin. Um, so, uh, went and looked at, looked at them and, uh, you know, expectations were like, in 2016 and 17 in the Permian were just insane and yeah. valuations were insane. And, and, um, uh, right around the end of 2017, early, early 18, those expectations started to fizzle. The valuation started to fizzle and, and kind of the, the expectations for these, these assets we, we were looking at, uh, became in line with something that we thought we could make money on. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, had to go, uh, raise a bit more, um, Went to, uh, had some had some co-invest, but uh, you know Yorktown doesn't have a huge fund, but they they play really nicely with others. So yeah, uh, they 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 kind of lead for some some of their LPs. They set up co-invest vehicles, and uh, you know one of them was BlackRock. Uh, so uh, got got a, a much bigger size, much bigger company than um, I, I guess we really thought we'd we'd be running at that point, mm -hmm. uh, and that required a, uh, you know, a pretty big team. Um, so the assets we, we got that the, was actually, you know, a corporate sale. Um, uh, the, the folks there were, were already really good at what they did. It just kind of, it was just sort of the, the life cycle. It kind of reached, reached the end on, on, on the fund. And they're just like, Hey, we gotta, we gotta liquidate and sell. So, uh, we actually, um, I went out and found uh, a few folks, uh, my, my partner and me, uh, some of the some of the senior folks. But uh, we really needed the rest of the team, and and we relied on that 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 in cap portfolio company for a lot of the folks uh, that uh, um, you know a, after we took over, and still have a lot of them. So um, that was that was hugely important. Yeah. So you know, I, I got a lot of questions. It's funny, man. We have some really badass technologies and extremely smart people come yeah. on the show, but the top two performing episodes that we've had of all time have been from EMP 
uh, founders. Like everyone's always still fascinated yeah. about, you know, the old oil men story of right. owning and operating assets. And that's still um, what we get the most questions about. Yeah. It's like how to like, start. So like whenever app. we bought our wells, I mean, there's nothing compared to your operation. Right. So, I mean, you can go check it out on YouTube if you want. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> dude, I'll take a look. You know, it was, you know, it was pretty cool. We vlogged it. No big deal. That was like our best performing video ever. But we get questions every single week about it. And we're like, you know, Hey, where's some resources? You know, everybody has a million questions about this. And it seems yeah. we want these things that just fascinates people yeah yeah so you know lots of questions about running an emp in today's day and age you know especially 2020 you know when it's just been you know just bomb after bomb after bomb um you know there's just carnage surrounding us and we don't know if we're going to survive and what the fuck's going to happen you know cats and dogs living together (laughs) (laughs) you know how one what is your overall hypothesis on the industry in terms of, I mean, you're just seeing consolidation like yeah. crazy, right? One, M&A and A&D was just gridlocked for yeah. the majority of the year, right? And I'm sure it came down to this issue of the bid-ass spread just being so wide that no one was moving. Now, you know, it just kind of seems like a domino effect where yeah. you have a ton of movement happening. You know, this consolidation, especially in the private equity back space where, you know, you had a lot of PE back companies that were still operating off of the lease and flip model and, you know, they're out there and there's nowhere to flip it to. Right. right. So there's no liquidation for these assets or these companies. What do they do? You know, are, are they starting to roll up into larger companies under their under their backer? You know, what's what's happening there? There's um that is happening on, on, on the private side. And, and, you know, I guess first let me talk about the, the, the big, the big public guys, especially in, in the Permian. I mean, you got, you, had, you know, Noble and Concho and Parsley all in the matter of what a month or something. And that's just, I, that's just, that's just massive. And I, I don't know if it's causation or correlation, but that, that volume, um, I mean, those are, those are elephants. Uh, and, so the the attitude, you know, downstream from that, the the the, the little guys like us, it, it probably was some causation. There's been some kind of come to Jesus a little bit on on expectations, on valuation. Um, it is uh, there is going to be more volume on the private side. You might not hear about a lot of it uh, because there's just there might not be any press releases. There's no there's, there's no you know public unless there's public debt or something. There just there's just no obligation to disclose anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that is definitely happening. And and um, uh, just from conversations, these these um, uh, you know it's it's different right now, right this second from even three months ago. Yeah, uh, there is a marked difference and willingness to do something. Um, so that that's very fertile ground. Um, and it's impossible to predict who's going to be, you know, everyone wants to be the management team who's left standing, yeah. obviously. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's kind of, and this is, this, this sucks, uh, for, for, for a lot of folks. Uh, and, and, and it's, it's going to suck. And we, we, we have to be, my, my partner and me and our, our whole, our whole team has to be, you know, willing to, you know, during this consolidation cycle, like we, of course, we're going to fight to be that team left standing, yeah. I, obviously. And, and, and we think we're better than most, mm-hmm. but everyone else can say the same thing. Yeah. Um, so like it, it, it's a risk. It, it, it is a risk and, and we kind of have to you know, live with that every day. Um, we, we do think if push came to shove uh, and it came down to numbers, like under, you know, our stewardship assets would have a better chance to succeed and, and we could back that up. Uh, yeah. we, 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 we do, firmly believe that. Um, but 
if we get involved in something or, 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 or someone throws a number out that's that, you know, investors are, are fine with, then I, we can't do anything. We can't be, you know, repeating the same sins that ENP management teams have been criticized for doing for the last several years. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, it's, it's their money. It's our investors' money. In the end, we have to do what's best for them. So yeah. um, we, oh. anyway. On that topic, let's dive into the sins of other EMP management companies. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there, there was an interesting point that you brought up too yeah. about everyone wants to be the last management team yeah. standing, right? And I think it was the WPX Devon deal, if I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. but you know, they, um, they made a comment that um, the biggest barrier to M&A was mm. egos of yeah. management teams, right? Because no one wants to, I mean... Who would want to do that, right? You, um, if you, you're in that position, you, you don't want to give it up. So, you know, that's a huge barrier to this consolidation. Absolutely. But, yeah, you know, you look at, you know, Jake brought this up. You look at EMP and especially, you know, governance structure and incentives and, you know, they're getting hammered online, you know, especially if you go over on Twitter, you know, a lot of people are, are talking about this. And, you know, how do you see those things getting you know, fixed and kind of, you know, the wrinkles ironed out in the future, you know, it just seems like the entire model needs to be shaken up it. a little bit. Like you know, it, it, it's not it. even, it's not even just oil prices, right? It's that some of these, um, EMP management teams, you know, I, I'm not as familiar on the private equity backsides, but, you know, more familiar with public sides yeah. just because they get more information on them. Right. So I have a little more transparency, yeah. but yeah, you know, how, do things have to change there and, and our management teams talking about that or is it kind of, you know, it's the majority of people like, Hey, we'll just keep riding this thing into bankruptcy and, and file and come out clean on the other side and keep doing that. So, um, there's a, I've never seen a GNA be at the very top of the list for some, some analysis for, for, for a combination or a merger and acquisition elimination of GNA. I've seen that so many times in the last last six months, um, and uh, you you look at that, and you're like, true, absolutely true. Uh, at the same time, you kind of have to ignore like the you know there, there, there's a there's a social uh, there are social reper repercussions to all this, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, oil field is is uh, is is dealing with that right now. Um, so um, yeah, I mean that's 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 massive, and it's easy it's easy to hide a big GNA budget and pay yourself, you know, whatever. Um, when, you know, oil's at, at, you know, hundred dollars a barrel or whatever. So, mm -hmm. and, and, and that's, you know, when shale took off, oil was hundred dollars a barrel and gas was, you know, three to $4 an M. And, you know, it's, it's that old justification of, of, you know, a good, if I hire the right person, pay him or her a lot of money, and they're going to, it's such a capital intensive industry that the ROI is going to be huge. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that was the justification that no one really questioned it. Maybe a few folks uh, on, on, on EFT mm -hmm. <laughs> were, were the, 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 the first to start criticizing it. But internally, um, we are now hyper aware. Everyone is hyper aware of that. What is yeah. your GNA as a percentage of your revenue this year, as a percentage of each barrel of oil equivalent you, you produce? Yeah, see, so no one, so no one really looked at things like that. You know, GNA um, to barrel of oil produces yeah, a ratio. It doesn't really seem it, like a novel concept to me. I don't know how this escaped people for so long. Yeah, it's really, yeah, it's really, it's, 
if you, maybe, if you look at efficiency, like yeah, that's how it, shit it's a unit measured, cost. Right? Yeah. Like you make, you're making a widget mm-hmm. and that's how much, how many dollars of cost you, op, you allocate to that widget. Yeah. It, it, it should, it's pretty, you know, so it's something that maybe was tracked and we all kind of, I mean, sometimes oil and gas uh, gets a little, I don't know, it's just kind of gets groupthink. Uh, yeah. And we, we probably do need a, a little bit more external, like, you know, critical thought at our business. Uh, and maybe if we'd invited that, um, those metrics, those GNA metrics wouldn't have been so out of whack. Yeah. Uh, and we, we wouldn't have folks, um, you know, taking, you know, just getting, you know, massive, uh, massive salaries and bonus bonuses and, and poison pills. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that, that's their, that was their incentive. And, um, you know, I, I, I guess, you know, allow me to, to, to complain a little bit. Um, you know, everyone from a human down to a freaking bacteria, um, is going to act according to its incentive. Yeah. And the incentive was to do that. And there was no check on that because who cares? We can grow volume and, and, you know, you experience the, the, the multiple expansion and you just, you know, as an investor, 2014, you just, you just didn't care. And so those, and those, I've the, always brought that up. You know, a lot of people, yeah. they'll rail on management teams and I'm like, going to look at the, the enablers, the, the yeah. real source, be the investors, right? Because yeah. how would you expect management teams to operate yeah. any differently if they're incentivized to do that? Yeah. Like no one's going to go against their incentives. That's not yes. human nature. So exactly. You know, I, I think that there's always, you know, there's, there can be lots of parties to, you know, kind of take blame. But I think yeah. at the end of the day, it's like the money was, that's how they were incentivizing mm-hmm. people. So. Sure. And just like what you said, no one's going to say, well, no, I don't want to pick up that extra rig because I don't like money. Yeah. <laughs> like that was it. Yeah. That was the logic. Yeah. And yes, it was perverse and yeah. it maybe shouldn't have been that way, but um, that that's that's an, an impossible thing to fight against. So, you know, you talk about this GNA being cut down and, you know, I think you look at American oil and gas 10 years from now, it's going to look extremely different. I mean, shit, it's looked extremely different from 10 months ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of these jobs that are being cut, you know, may not be back. And so how yeah. does an EMP, you know, tell us if you guys are thinking about this, you know, how do you bolt on, you know, additional acreage and grow your asset without also simultaneously growing your GNA? You know, are you guys looking at digital solutions and technology to make your workforce more efficient and, you know, increase that ratio of, yeah. um, you know, barrels of oil per day to yeah. um, GNA? You know, yeah. kind of tell me how you guys think about that. So that that was something we were, uh, I guess we were started at a time when it, it was just starting to get get some attention. And, and we, we really wanted to keep keep our overhead down because, um, you know, we, we believed on the waterfall, uh, which is our, our, you know, our, our, our B shares. And, you know, we decided, well, look, if, if we believe in our business plan, we believe in that oil price, it, a dollar we pay ourselves now, um, you know, that, that gets compounded and that comes off our waterfall. So, you know, we want to be super efficient and, and also it, it's a lot easier to be super high tech when you're starting from nothing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you, if you're, you know, Exxon or something and you've been operating for, you know, over a century, uh, you know, going back to, to, to standard oil, um, you know, these, you've got this, you got to migrate all that and starting from nothing is a lot easier to do. And so we, we, we had that advantage of when we started. So instead of 
um, we, we, we had the, the, the vision, I guess, of, of uh, we, we hired a data scientist um, and uh, who has a lot of responsibility tying to do, together all these disparate data sets, everything from, from you know, the, the public data like Inveris and all that stuff, but also you know, our accounting, our operations, mm-hmm. everything feeds through this, this system that we call Dive. It's just kind of this, this um, it's just an aggregator of all relevant data that most folks in our company need to do their jobs. And so something you guys built yourself? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, See, I knew they were a forward-thinking company. I had, yeah. I had that hunch. <laughs> <laughs> now we start peeling back the layers. Yeah, of yeah, yeah. There you go. Uh, so we don't have that. In th- there's so much friction uh, with, um, you know, you go back to how, how people did stuff uh, 20, 30 years ago. You had, you had a person whose job it was to, you know, get this data, you know, package it, and then be part of that sort of like, you know, management supply chain of the information. And there's friction every time something passes from one person to another and you get, you know, potential for human error. Um, so, well, I mean, we have technology now, we might, might as well use it, but yeah, th- this is very deflationary mm-hmm. to, to ENP, uh, you know, salaries and, 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 and compensation. Um, I mean, I, we, we've looked at, at, you know, bolting things on and, and just, just kind of, okay, who else would we need to go get, you know, those assets over there, whatever we can, so we can, you know, just to uh, throw out some, some, some numbers and we'll put them up, pull them out of my rear real quick. Um, <laughs> double in size GNA per BOE goes, or sorry, GNA per BOE goes down because GNA in absolute terms only goes up 10 or 20% or something. So yes, that, that's the model that, that is mm-hmm. absolutely the model. Um, and then, uh, you know, just, just being just very cognizant of like, what is something like here, here's a process. If, the, if, if there's the same expense happening over and over again, let's invest in the upfront cost, uh, the, the, the IT cost with our you know, mm-hmm. da- data science guy. And we, we've got a you know, couple of, he's, he has a couple other good, good developers. Let's, let's integrate that process into our main system here. Um, and yeah, it costs some money and yeah, it's a, it's a pain in the ass, but once it's there, it's there forever and pays dividends forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that's, that's kind of how we look at bolt-ons and, and, and acquisitions, at least for on the, on the GNA side. Do you think that gives you guys a competitive edge over other EMPs? If you're like, you know, can you actually model an EMP today after this? Because you brought up the point, you know, bigger EMPs can't do it. You know, not even as big as Exxon, you know, you look at yeah. someone the size of, you know, say, uh, you know, like a Concho or even, you know. Oxy. Yeah, those right. those size right. companies, you know, it's hard for them yeah. to change their operations, right? And yep. uh, maybe they're not able to do or operate some of these assets as efficient as you guys are. And yep. um, so, do you view technology as a competitive edge? Yes, uh, yeah, absolutely. And then everyone, um, you know, from 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 the start was like, okay, everyone has their role and has their title, has their job, but you know, everyone's a data scientist, right? We have to learn this dive system uh, that's you know aggregates everything. We we, we all have to interact with it because that's how we're that's how we're communicating towards each other. Mm-hmm. So we've got you know, all these different reports for these processes where you know land communicates with you know regulatory communicates with production. Uh, you know it just like it spits out a report if we got some wells that are shut in for more than three or four days. Like hey we we don't want to run afoul of it sends off an alert. It's mm-hmm. like, hey, these these three wells, you know, what's going on? Let's let, let's let's talk about these. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't want any sort of weird, you know, land risks. You know, some, some so it, it's stuff like that. And it sounds yeah. really boring 
but um, and, and and to some extent, uh, you know, it, it it is. But automating that process yeah, makes it the, so much the less. Problems painful. in this industry are super low hanging fruit. Yeah. that are boring yeah. problems. Like I, yeah. I just. Uh, I've got a friend that's a data scientist, uh, PhD from Stanford, and he moved here. And I was telling him about some of these uh, problems. I was like, you can go ask any EMP, mm-hmm. say, hey, what's the marginal cost of that specific well? You know, yeah. is it is it profitable on a marginal cost basis? Yeah. I was like, they can't tell you. Right. And he's like, no, surely they can. Because, you know, he came from the... Uh, um, processing world you know where they're making um fuck why did my mind just go blank um i know you're talking about i'm trying to think about which part of his career you're talking about yeah (laughs) (laughs) anyways you know sounds like a versatile guy yeah (laughs) yeah you know um anyways in factories you know a factory can know on any given day right is it profitable for us to operate right and he just he didn't believe that emps couldn't tell you on a well-by-well basis if that asset was profitable and i was like look this is things that the industry deals with is that you have some very boring data problems and they're boring, but there's a lot of money to be made in there and a lot of efficiency to be gained. And so it's also interesting that you guys went and built this out internally. You know, what was the thinking behind building it internally versus using external softwares and technologies that are coming out there? You know, was it just because there wasn't a whole lot back then in that time frame when you guys started or I mean, the energy know, tech ecosystem was significantly smaller yeah. in 2016. Yes. Like most of the I mean, startups we, we had on the that's show why we exist. didn't exist. <laughs> yeah. You know, so very, very true. We'll give you that. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> you know, I, I guess it, it was going to be so fundamental to mm-hmm. our, to our business. Um, you know, j- just, just the, just the idea of, of making that a core part of, of everything we do, I guess we wanted that person to be a, a fiduciary of Triple Crown mm-hmm. and then act with Triple Crown's own best interests in mind when we're, we're going around solving these very boring problems. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think th- that that was ultimately it. And, and it, it's turned out, it's turned out pretty well. Um, and I don't know what that other, if, if we'd gone out and, and bought something off the shelf and, you know, piece it together and there, there's nothing that's really tailor made though for your assets and for your people. And so that was our, that was our big justification. We are, we have made a platform tailor made for us as individuals, uh, and specific to our assets. So, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, maybe the upfront costs were a little bit more, but we're getting more out of them. Yeah. We think. So one thing you said there was not only tailor made for the company, not only tailor made for the assets, but you said tailor made for our people. Yeah. Yeah. How, how are you, how are you differentiating between those and, and what, and in what ways did you kind of build it around your people? Because I think that is one of the most overlooked concepts, even in energy tech. When I talk to yeah. you know EMPs and I talk to energy tech companies, it's like, you got to remember you're in the people business first and foremost. Yes. Yes. Well, it's also a hard barrier for yeah. tech companies because yep. Not only do you have to make a product that is standardized and it has to be sufficient for the company, has to be sufficient for the asset, has yeah. to be sufficient for the people. So you have all these different variables across yeah, all you know, the like different roles, especially with companies. something like that. I mean, yeah. You're dealing yeah. with, you know, biz dev, you're dealing with Lammy, you're dealing with accounting, you're yes. dealing with engineers, you know, it's completely different. Like disciplines that have very little to do with each exactly. other. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and they have to communicate. Yeah. 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 Oil and, and we never give, give ourselves, this business never gives itself enough credit for like, this business is freaking complicated. Yeah. It's so hard. Yeah. Uh, I feel like if you can do oil and gas and you want to leave, you want to pivot, you can do pretty much it. <laughs> Dude, and, and this is something I want to, I'd love to bring up later and talk about it. And if, if we have time, but like, I, I think, uh, oil field, the, the industry, oil field workers, 
would do renewables better than renewables people I for this so. reason. Yep. And I, I would love for that to, for that to be some kind of, you know, part of the energy transition is, is we, we just do both. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm playing around with some kind of, how, how do we, how do we set this up on, on, on the corporate side? To, so things don't start getting, you know, both yeah, there's the actually, I, I've seen several pre, several people bring that up, um, especially on the geothermal side. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of people who, you know, you can call them hippies, you know, they hate oil and gas right. and they're looking uh, for renewables, but I've seen them talking on Twitter. They're yeah. like, everyone needs to stop demonizing oil and gas, the workforce. It's one of the most technical workforces out there and they can help us solve these problems. So there's smart people on the other side that understand that as well. And I mean, we know this firsthand. I mean, it it blows my mind how many smart people you can just interface with in this industry. Yeah. And hardworking and hardworking on top of that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and a lot of the, the, the unsung heroes there and just guys in, in, in West Texas are just, just really just intuitively understand things might not have a college degree, but like understands the, the business and what needs to be done, done in a way that, that very few people can. Yeah. Uh, and those are really, those skills are translate so well. My favorite guys are the guys on West Texas that are missing two teeth, have a high school <laughs> yeah. degree and they understand downhole physics. Yeah. So, well, uh, I remember, man, when I first went to work on a rig, I was like, these yeah. fucking people, it's in, they're a different breed, man. I was yeah. like, they're smart. <laughs> yep. It's like the less, they're, the less teeth smart, and fingers you have, the smarter you are. Yeah. Almost. <laughs> But yeah, you know, it's really interesting. And I I think that, you know, I mean, this is obviously a big mission for digital wildcatters is to help people in oil and gas industry. And as we start to um, really kind of dive more into renewable and clean tech and we're having these conversations, you know, the two, the two are kind of bridging over. And I mean, you're starting to see the space industry starting to tap in and hire engineers that have been laid off from oil and gas, you know, to go work on, you know, landing pads, you know, for SpaceX out, out in the Gulf or wherever. Somebody's got to drill asteroids. Yeah, man. Someone's (laughs) got to, got to, got to mine Mars, man. So yeah, yeah, I I think that that's a man. You have five fucking podcasts talking about that. Yes. This is such a rich topic and I, I, I love, I love talking about it. It's, it's uh, I guess something I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with. Like what is, what is an e- an independent ENP look like in ten years? Yeah, um, and it's different from now. I don't. I can't tell you exactly how, but it's very different from now. Yeah. What, what have you come to the conclusion on so far? <laughs> <laughs> if, if any, if, no, if nothing, that's fine because no. I don't. I don't know. I mean, well, I know, and it goes along with the question I was going to ask you: is like, you know, people are still fascinated by the idea of starting an EMP, yeah. and people see a lot of opportunity. I mean, you know, there's blood in the water, and these are great times to start businesses, and so people are still asking me, you know, hey, I want to start an EMP. And obviously you can't go down the private equity route anymore. That's dead. That's not there. All the money's in renewables. And so if you wanted to start an energy company today, you know, what does that look like? And what does the evolution of an EMP look like over the next decade? I think is, you know, we're not, we're not going to hold you to your answer. Yeah. By Ryan, you're way off the fucking bar. You know, like. What you, you get another LinkedIn message you're in not, 10 years. Like, yeah. Dude, you were so wrong. You yeah. suck. <laughs> you're not making the 50 under 50. Oh, sorry. Let me, let, me set my, let me set my phone reminder 10 years from now. You talk shit to Ryan. And hopefully 2030 is better than 2020. Yeah, Jesus Christ. No shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, you man. know, because I, I spent a lot of time thinking about this and thinking about the model. And 
it, uh, it'd be interesting to hear it from someone yeah. in your shoes to where it's your business right yeah. now. And you got to think about, you know, where are we going? Right. Know? Right. Oh, exactly. So I, right now it's, uh, okay. So the risk for the next six, 12 months that so we've got this, you know, massive risk to the downside. Oh, this is OPEC has, this is an historic amount of discipline. They, as a group have showed, uh, I don't know how you can quantify this, but like they, they are complying with production cuts. And mm -hmm. if someone starts arguing with another person snowballs and well, here's another 3 million barrels a day back on the market. Um, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's an immediate risk. So being prepared for, for that happening, we're not saying it will, mm -hmm. but we're, we're saying it, it, it might, we need, need to be prepared for it. We're so, at the mercy of OPEC. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, big, and big time. we were caught with our pants down. Yeah. So like, uh, sometimes I feel foolish because when I was younger and I just got in the oil field 10 years ago, you know, we were dethroning Saudi and yeah. shale revolution. You know, I was fucking proud to be out there fracking wells right. and then energy you know, independence. Yeah. Stuff. And then energy loud, energy over, fucking yeah, yeah. Yeah. boys. <laughs> <laughs> you know, after, after the last few years, I started realizing, I was like, yeah. OPEC's been toying with us this entire time and we're still at their mercy and it's a huge risk to the business. And then, yeah. you know, we can dive into, you know, how you regulate production in America and like, you know, I, me personally, I just don't see like, I'm all about, you know, free markets and yeah. capitalism, but I just don't understand how we can have so many independent operators yeah. Yeah. and not be at the mercy of um, OPEC. But right. I don't even know where the fuck I was going with this question. I'm just rambling again. That was so. a pitch for the Bropec hats on the website. Yeah, so we got Bropec hats. That's, <laughs> that's our new oil cartel that we're we've been building up this year. So perfect. Yeah, transition to that, but. Well, this is, I guess, goes back to the, your, your question from like five minutes ago, which is like, where, where is it going? Like with this as one of the primary risks, like you know, where, where is it going? And, and uh, so we, we will be at a structural deficit, uh, demand exceeding supply at some point. I mean, you just, you can't pull this much capital away from an industry as fundamental as, as, as oil. And yeah, expect to not have a supply crunch at some point. Yeah. When, when are you predicting that? I don't know. Yeah. I, I, sometime in the next five years. Well, there's so many variables, right? I yeah. mean, you see the news with COVID vaccines coming yeah. out and things of that nature. And so it's like, okay, does demand start returning in 2021? Is it right. 2023? I had some drinks the other day and I started making bets about oil prices really? in the next three and a half years. I'm hoping people don't remember them. Yeah. Hold me to them, but <laughs> I was getting a little bullish. <laughs> okay, so a whiskey fueled guess is probably better than a bunch of the idiots who who opine on CNBC. So don't. don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I would take that for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and so you know, there there's going to be a face ripping uh, oil price spike at some point. Again, mm -hmm. we're going to go over hundred dollars a barrel because there's just. There's just not enough capital in the space and too much capital is being diverted away. I'm just going to put it on the record. There, I said 200 in the next three and a half years. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Wasn't the bet that you dress in drag if you're wrong? Throw it down. Was that? No, I don't remember what the bet was. You had too many drinks. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, so, you know, when, when that happens, um, we go back to the incentive question. Uh, will, will there be a, a huge pool of new investors like, oh my God, look at these cash flows. I'm going to, I'm going to reward these teams. I'm going to say, I don't care about your capital discipline, just grow production. Like that's the risk. I don't think it's like management teams. Like we, we understand this right now. We, we, you know, and if someone wants to you know, the, the incentive structure becomes 
grow at all costs again, well, like it's just going to follow yeah. because that, that, that's where the incentive is going to be. And then rents repeat, right? Like, mm-hmm. so what, what's some, what's some middle ground and, you know, maybe, maybe the investors in oil and gas, there'll be fewer in number, but more sophisticated who are a little bit more, it, it just depends on who they are. Right. So where are those incentives going during the next spike? That, that, that's another one that's going to shape what an ENP looks like in 10 years. Yeah. And I just, like, I would love to give investors credit and say that, you know, they're smarter than to make those same mistakes again. But yeah. I mean, you see all this money pouring into yeah. ESG funds and yeah. renewables and the same thing is going to happen over there over the next 10 years in terms yeah. of inflating these assets. Right. And right. same exact thing that happened in Shell. So, yeah. you know, it'd be nice at some point, you know, for the workforce of these industries to end the volatility, you know, right. the ups and downs and have a little bit better capital discipline and align the incentives yeah. that make it a sustainable business. Right. Right. So, um, yeah, yeah. You know, you look at, over the next 10 years, I think that, you know, I'm bullish on oil and gas. Um, I think that it's going to look completely different than what it looks like today. But, you know, we get this question all the time, especially as we're raising capital for digital wildcatters. People are like, why are you building a business in a dying industry? And I'm like, well, it's not a dying industry. Yeah. It's going to look different, but it's fundamental to life right. as we know it, right? And yeah. I see firsthand these high net worth individuals are coming yeah. in and they're looking, hey, how can I get direct exposure to oil and gas? You know, they don't necessarily want to go through uh, private equity or anyone else that they'd have agency risk through. They want right. direct exposure. So I know there's money out there that's starting to yeah. circle around and people, you know, kind of get that smell of or taste of blood in the water. And you just, like you said, you can't have this fundamental industry and then just suck all of the capital out right. of it and then not have this, this crunch and right. supply. So it'll be, you know, who knows when it happens. Right? right. I think that's what I like about my bets usually is I don't give a time horizon. So at some <laughs> point I could be right. So, yeah. <laughs> but or not, I, I messed up and I get a three, three and a half year, uh, time frame. So we'll yeah. see if it happens, but you know, I, I just, it, it's really interesting and it's interesting, you know, talk to someone like you from an EMP team that has to deal with this mm-hmm. day in and day out, you know, like I can't even imagine the challenges of running an EMP right now. You know, are you guys like even running any rigs right now or is it all we, just, we do have a rig. Um, and, uh, you know, it's kind of a maintenance capital thing. Um, yeah. it's on, on paper, it's, you know, they see investor presentations like, yeah, our wells make great rate of return at $40 a barrel. Everyone's treading water right now. If you can tread water drilling wells, you're doing pretty well. Yeah. Uh, so th- that's what it's for. It's like, it's a tread water to extend the call option. On, yeah. on, that's what we are. We're a call option on oil price. Yeah. Uh, it's just how the average investor sees us. Like, okay, how do I get an exposure to oil? Like here's someone who's you know, levered to, you know, the, the price of the uh, price of oil more than actually betting on the commodity. So yeah. I'll just go buy an oil company. Um, I mean, that's, that's the view, whether it's right or wrong. So, um, you know, and you know, how do you, like, how do you, uh, I'm not going to get into those questions. I got (laughs) questions about like, how do some of these public companies survive? Because, you know, they're just so over levered that, um, it's like, you can't even liquidate your assets and cover, you know, your outstanding debt. Mm-hmm. and really kind of hoping on $100, $150 oil yep. to come in the near future. And I don't know, you know, oil and gas industry is fucking resilient. You it know, is. I mean, there's some of these these companies and the people in it are, I mean, they're just like fucking cockroaches. You know, they <laughs> don't die. I feel like that sometimes as a digital wildcat is like, we're like cockroaches, man. Like, you know, some days it's like, man, we're not going to make it to next week. And we keep keep on 
keeping on. So, you know, I, I think it'll be yeah, interesting, but that's resilience that, yeah, that, that's what, that's what we have to be good at. And, you know, we'll, we'll be the companies that survive. Uh, hopefully it's more than, uh, some of the dire forecasts out there are, are going to be super lean, mean. And, yeah. And, you know, when that next spike happens, I mean, the margins are going to be gigantic because of this, you know, austerity we're, we're going through right now. Yeah. Um, and it, that's true for everything in the supply chain, right? It's yeah. not, not just ENPs, but but uh, I mean, in many ways, service companies are even more levered to the price of oil than than, than ENPs. So yeah, um, yeah. Coming from OFS, I can make that yeah. argument all day. So poor yeah. poor OFS companies. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I think uh, yeah. you know this conversation, man, is really insightful. I like what you guys are doing. Kind of taking this, you know, you've built the business around an internal technology and you know, thinking about things differently and really thinking about how do you survive short term and then yeah. how do you prosper long term. So, you know, I wish you guys luck and um, hope Thank things you. work out in your favor and, you know, appreciate you coming on the show, yeah, especially after fun. being yeah, big man. time. It's a good change of pace, you know? Yeah. yeah. I thought you used to be too big time. It's like, man, I'm on the 40 under 40 list. I'm not going <laughs> to, can't come on your we podcast. Should, we should have brought some 40s. We should have had some. Dude, I was thinking on. about it. Yeah. I was like, no one wants a 40. Yeah. <laughs> that was That's just hard to drink. I actually <laughs> did drink it. I was like, man, that is foul. But the more I drank, it's more like, it's like kind of chemically. Okay, that's not that bad. Yeah, he's starting to get a little numb <laughs> to it. Desensitize. <laughs> Shit, I lost my taste during COVID, so I could just put them down. There but you go. <laughs> maybe next time we'll, we'll we'll get some 40s and, and we'll bring them around. So, Perfect. Ryan, appreciate Perfect. you coming on the show, man. Uh, yeah. Great conversation. Yeah, really yeah, enjoyed, enjoyed this, it. man. Enjoyed it, guys. All right, guys, by the time the show comes out, we're going to have about a million podcasts launched. Uh, we actually just dropped two new ones this week. Uh, first one up is Margin Call with Alex Chandy and Big George Paris Kavopoulos. Hopefully I didn't butcher that. <laughs> I've been practicing it. Okay, if you guys haven't noticed. It's over the entire oil trading side of the business. And so super fascinating. These guys are amazing what they do. It's their passion. They've both been paper and physical traders. So go check that out. And then also Collins and Rob Norton's new show, The Roundup Podcast, which is just a podcast version of the newsletter that you guys love. Um, so go check that out. Weekly news every single week. Colin, you want to add anything? No, it's good shit. Go check it out. Yeah, go check it out. All right, guys, we'll catch you in the next episode. Come, 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 come.